Just over 50 years ago, M.C. Richards moved here to Susquehanna County to a farm where she would continue to make pots and poems. She'd already published her seminal book, Centering in Pottery, Poetry, and the Person, and she continued to explore creativity and the creative process in our lives as humans. In an essay titled Connections in her book, The Crossing Point, she writes, Art is the consequence of our passion to make our inner life visible and sense-perceptible, to embody it. We're continually making things, making things, what to do with them all, continually giving material expression to something, to an idea, to a feeling, to a nothing, to a something, doing we know not what. Led by an inner compulsion as decisive, fully as decisive as hunger, fully as decisive as the commitment to any ideal, sitting in front of a keyboard hour after hour, pecking away, gazing into the inner distance, sitting in clay up to our eyebrows and beyond, up all night firing the kilns, flaked out with the heavy work of bronze casting, preoccupied with the inner score of song or poem, hawking the family silver to buy paint and canvas, doing without food to have the free time to compose or write, in order that something from that inner realm may find expression in substance that we can recognize with our ordinary senses. Even so, the quality of what we have done rests uneasily in the material, for the flow of inner experience is mobile, filled with resonance, flowing color, thoughts that move like swimmers in the depths, a music of language. So that when we look at what we have made or what others have made, we need to look from the inside, from where it has come, feeling what kinds of living inner impulses have formed it. It is like looking at a person. You see the physical image. You try to sense the invisible being to hear who is speaking not coming in too fast with aesthetic demands or psychological demands or assumptions, but delicately, as if in the presence of an unknown God, listening to hear not what is said, but what is meant, not coming in too fast with a reply or reaction, but listening, asking, awakening in oneself the sense of the other person and his or her source. Words of M.C. Richards in an essay titled Connections. At about the same time M.C. settled on a farm in Susquehanna County, artist Mary Lapos settled into living and working on her family farm in Danville in Montour County. The two probably never met, but if they had, surely they would have had a lot to talk about. Mary's artist statement suggests that in her art, she explores with the viewer what is seen and not seen, what is known and what is yet to be known, expressing the unknown and the unseen and making them accessible to everyone. And color has been central to Mary's artistic searching. As it happens, Mary and M.C. each became interested in the ideas of Rudolf Steiner, the Austrian philosopher, educational theorist, and founder of anthroposophy, especially in his notions about color. 
Mary's works are held in private and public collections throughout the United States, Europe, India, and Ireland. She's exhibited locally and nationally in one-woman shows, as well as in galleries and universities with her largest body of work titled Painting Invisible People, focusing on social justice issues of three countries, India, Haiti, and the United States. There is an exhibition of two aspects of Mary's work at the Exchange Gallery in Bloomsburg, running through July 15th. We had a chance to speak by phone with Mary Lapos about her art, and in this part of our conversation, we centered on In Tune, Key of D. We learned that she was compelled from the start to make art. It reached scary proportions. I'm sure I drove my parents crazy. I had drawings on everything, on walls, <laughs> on paper bags, you name it. And when I was very little, I had asthma. And that was a long time ago, and they didn't have many things to treat asthma then. So I would be in an oxygen tent on a ward full of dozens of people. And my relatives all brought me coloring books. And I think that's how I got my start. It was the beginning of my fascination with color and line and It never stopped. And subject-wise, anything you saw that caught your eye? Well, it probably was in the beginning. It was mostly the coloring books. And I've had a lifelong enjoyment of when the kids get ready to go back to school. It used to be you'd always get a pencil box and the new crayons with the pointy tips. And I almost have the same reaction to it today as I did when I was a kid. I love seeing the kids getting ready for school so that I can smell the new crayons and all of that. But as I grew older, I thought I was going to be a fashion designer. So I had just endless drawings of, you know, ladies in fancy gowns and whatnots. I had no idea, really, because I never really went anywhere as a child, except we did go out to Colorado with my dad. He was called up for the Korean War. And so we went out there to Camp Carson and spent two years with him there. But that was my only experience traveling until I was an adult. And what about school, art school, or just classes in high school? What happened that way, formally? Not much. My dad did find a fellow in town that took students, and I'd go every, I don't know, other Saturday or something, maybe, and I was in class with a bunch of old ladies like I am right now, and, you know, they'd invite me home to their places to continue. And we'd sketch, you know, backyards and bird feeders, and they'd give me all kinds of treats, cookies and stuff. So I remember all that very well. And um, I adored the Saturdays, not so much for the art lessons as the cookies back at the house of the ladies. What do you think was the satisfaction? Just the beauty of the color? Just the lusciousness of the colors and the ability to put your hand to some sort of medium, whether it be a paper bag or a sketch pad? Well, I I didn't have much of a sense of color at first. I remember the poor man who was my teacher, I always say he had bad light bulbs, and that's why my color was so bad. But I really wasn't very well developed that way, and I did over the years become much more of a colorist. But it's just the act of drawing that is so satisfying to me, whether it's a brush or a paintbrush or a pencil or charcoal or sewing even. A good friend of mine who lives in the area, Paula Sweat, who's a fabulous fabric artist, took me under her wing and showed me how to do lots of techniques. 
I didn't care for sewing very much. It was too tedious, all the handwork you used to do as a kid. But when she introduced me to a sewing machine that was meant for drawing, stretching fabric out and just letting it roll, it was a turning point in my art career because I figured out after a lengthy time that I could do the same thing with paintbrushes and ink pens and all kinds of stuff. And that's kind of led me through my adult years. You don't just stick to what we might call more realistic images, the portraits, but you have gone into abstraction as well. What does that satisfy for you? Well, I've I've been just exploring color and music combined, like energetic stuff, and that's what the abstraction is about. I, I don't know anything about abstract art. I'm just following my natural inclinations and what I know about sound and color. And I'm just trying to experiment with combining them and see what happens. It's uh, it's a free fall. <laughs> but I, I jump around a lot, and I've been advised that that's not a great idea if you're cultivating some kind of notoriety in the art world because you have to become known for certain things. But to me, it's all about creation and communication, and I'm happy doing what I'm doing the way I'm doing it, so just let me be. <laughs> Have you played instruments, or did you sing when you were little? How does the music fit into your life? Someone in my neighborhood showed me a piano when I was about seven. And before that, there's a a family that used to live in Riverside, actually, the Boyd family. And they have lots of historic references in the Danville history. And my grandfather was a tenant farmer there. And when we came from Bethlehem, I was born in Bethlehem, and we came up to Danville, Riverside, to help my grandfather because he just was getting too old to do the work. And my dad, my dad grew up on a farm. So uh, we were there for a while, living there. And Miss Boyd, who was just a wonderful lady that owned the farm, she would let me go into the music room at her mansion and there was a grand piano in there. I didn't know what it was. We we never saw anything like that because there was no TV yet or anything. And I thought it was a garden because the gardener would bring roses and put them on top of the piano. I couldn't see up there. So I just thought it was this wonderfully magic thing. And then one day she showed me, she opened up the keys and showed me the keys and that they made noise, except I thought they were teeth and it was some kind of strange creature she kept in the music room, and I ran out scared to death. (laughs) And the next time I saw a piano, I remembered her piano, and I remembered what it sounded like. And fortunately, we were in a situation where I could take lessons, and that was like seven or eight, and I haven't ever stopped. I'm not a musician. I always wanted to be, but I am a persistent pianist. It's intriguing that you're making the connection, and that's a word that is important to you, connection between the sound waves and the light waves, the the frequencies of the colors. What intrigues you about that? Is that scientifically based, or it's just instinctively the harmonies of the spheres sense? I think the thing that hooked me into that was, oh, seven or eight years ago, I was involved very deeply in in yoga and the philosophy of yoga. And I started reading Rudolf Steiner's work about sympathetic vibrations, and then, you know, we started the Waldorf schools and all that. 
And it was an interesting figure for me just to hear what he had done and read what he had done. And that led to a trip to India because I knew someone who was from there and lived a little north of Calcutta. And so I went there to spend some time with her father, who was a yoga instructor. I guess he was the real deal. I mean, I actually wouldn't know, but he certainly put a lot of effort into what he considered the necessities for me to take back to the United States as a student. So he had a wonderful library of old, old books. You know, the paper stays so dry in India, it doesn't rot like it does here from humidity, at least the part of India I was in. And I said this should be in a museum. And he, you know, he didn't think anything of it. But there's where I saw the color coordinates in one of those old, old books with sound. Of course, the music system is much different in India than we have here. And it sounds different. But there were corresponding notes, because music is pretty much the same everywhere, and, and color. And I asked him about it. And he just said, we didn't have a good communication system. It was pretty uphill, but we managed. And what I got out of it was that those old charts were talking about the chakra system in your body and with the colors going from red to purple, your spine and all that. And then when I got back to the States, I looked up some of the information he had told me. And that's when I found a chart that Rudolf Steiner had been connected to developing. And it was just plain and simple, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, you know, just the basic octave. And the sharps were in there or the flats, whichever way you were going. And they each had a color. And I just thought, well, this is really interesting. And, and I've just been about four or five years now playing around with the idea. And I took a chord on my piano that I have here in my studio. And I, I find that certain keys sound better to me. They sound more sprightly or joyful or happy, and other ones sound more somber, uh, like if you just play the primary chord. And for some reason, my piano sounds the best to me when I play the primary key of D. And so that's D, F sharp, and A. And the corresponding colors then are what I've picked to experiment with in the show, just for fun. I just wanted to see what would happen. So I started with abstraction and progressing through the different genres of painting, like, you know, impressionism, realism, portraiture, whatever. And I, I, that's what I've done in the first part of the show, is, is take it from the most basic elements, color, and water, really, and just see what's going to happen by itself. And in my eyes, and this is all very personal, the color combination was terrific. It was like an orangey-yellow and a turquoise greeny-blue thing and a deeper blue-purple. And I didn't use any other colors, just those as they corresponded to the notes. And that's what they are. The whole half of the show, the key of D, is my experiments in that little area of endeavor. Is the result when you hear the D chord... Is it a state of being that is evoked there? How do you talk about what it is you experience when you step back? I can't probably address any of it except to say that does it induce an altered state? If it's one that I'm working on and trying to stay out of at the same time, just let the materials do the work, it can become almost hypnotic. And uh, that's happened to me a couple of times. 
it's happened with other paintings, too. So that's a process that I, I think a lot of artists, regardless of the type of art, whether it's dancing or, or writing, or you can get lost in the process. I was scared when that happened the first time, but I've gotten kind of used to it. And I enjoyed doing these processes because that's what they are. Is the paper wet or dry? Am I, you know, am I adding it and letting it run, or I'm, I'm just going to put it on a pile of old clothes and see what happens to it with just the random manipulation of the materials? And I had probably 40-plus pieces, but the ones that really exemplified what I was trying to do, those are the ones that are in the show, because I just wanted, I wanted people to see the progression. And what I found interesting, although it doesn't dictate a formula, it shouldn't, but it's fun because it goes a little bit beyond complementary colors to a set of colors that have behind them a harmonious sound. And that's different than just complementary colors. Yes, they do bring out the best in each other if you get it right. But when they're already uh, tempered, I guess would be a good word, by the chord structure that you've selected, it does almost without fail, give a pleasing result. And the paintings I winnowed out were simply overdone. I didn't know when to stop. I was messing around and messing around, and things got muddy, as they always do with watercolors when you do that. So those were the real reasons I got rid of the ones that aren't on the wall. The ones on the wall stayed clean, and I stayed out of it as long as I could. But when I had to move to a different genre of painting, then, of course, I have to be involved in it. And still... It held on the wall. If I walk across the room, you know, as a abstract materials were, if I was trying for a portrait or if I was trying for a certain image and between realism and, say, Impressionism, it still held. And that was my only test for it, is that it held. The color preferences, like my preference for the key of D, are mine. And so you're right, it may not appeal to everybody. But what I did... I did sort of surreptitiously on one of my social media posts. I just posted the pictures, no explanation. And what I got back was really interesting data. You know how the programs all accumulate, you know, the number of visitors and their age group and all that stuff. And what I found out was 30 to 40-year-olds love the abstract stuff because they've grown up with it. It's not foreign to them like it is to anybody over 55. And what I also noticed was they took the time to comment, a rare event these days, and they used musical terminology to express their reaction. They'd use the words like singing and dancing and the rhythm of it and things like that, and I was astounded by that. What you're describing is different from synesthesia. We know some people, when they hear sounds, see colors, but that's not what you're talking about. Although Kandinsky was one of the people that explored this himself because he was a person with synesthesia. And, and I've also worked with a lot of people with autism in my teaching career, and you find that quirk, and it's considered a real positive by people with autism because they have a wonderful internal life because something that you are looking at to buy a car, but it tastes like, I don't know, shrimp salad or something. It can be any crossover of any sensory system. And sometimes it's a problem for people, but there are a lot of artists who are people who have synesthesia. They post online all the time. 
so I'm familiar with it, but this is different. This is sort of conceptual rather than a physical experience for me. It's, it's a conceptual framework, and I'm trying to operate in it just to see what happens, if nothing else. Is beauty a concept for you as an, as an artist? Is that something that is important, or do you ever look at an image like one of these and say, oh, those colors go to that's That's exquisite. That's what happens. That, that's what I find happens. I wouldn't have given this the time of day if I had just been dripping, you know, like I'd say the average palette that I use is quite different than what I was experimenting with. And I was, I was pleased with it because it satisfied somewhere in me a sense of beauty and color that never got to be offensive or overwhelming. It was, it was just balanced in a way that complementary colors can get away from you because you have to really be fine-tuned to get the right green next to the right red for it to be complementary because otherwise it can be horrible and garish and you just want to turn the page, you know. And so this experiment of mine seems to, the, the element of the chord we already know is harmonic. That's why it sounds good to us. And so on the wall going into the gallery for this show, that's what I have on the wall. If it sounds good to you, it's going to look good to you on the wall. And for me, that has been what has happened. Now, as I said, you know, that color combination, other people may find distasteful, but that's the way it is with any painting. But this just happens to be an experiment that I was able to use those same three colors in almost the entire left-hand side of the show, in the Key of D show. And I had the same response. Different visual image, let's put it that way, each time because I modified the way I went about it, and I have little things next to the paintings to explain what the process was. So if people want to try it themselves, they can. I think art should be fun, and to me, this has been fun. It, I'm excited by it. It's, it's just working completely in the realm of sensory information between the sound and the color, and, you know, I could probably be up here in my studio for the rest of my life, and I wouldn't come out just doing these kind of things because I enjoy experimenting and I enjoy finding out what makes something beautiful. And I'm sure every artist in history has had their own idea of beauty. And like, I've, I have no time for Picasso. I know everybody is like, what? They look at me. He's a great artist. He, he did all these things and I'm sure he did. And I know he did because everybody tells me, but I don't really like his, his paintings. And so art is such a personal thing. And I think the best you can ever do is hope to communicate, even if it's just to one person in a room somewhere, and you made the connection with them. And that's, that's success in my book. There's one image in the show. It's the last one in the P of D. And it's a portrait, a self-portrait. And I'm working with the National Breast Coalition right now I've submitted an article for the newsletter, and it's a self-portrait that got painted in one of those other sort of alternative universe things, and I really wasn't sure what I had painted when I was finished with it. But And then I, I realized what had happened, because I'm a cancer survivor, and it was me after the, the surgeries and feeling like, you know, there was nothing ahead 
for me in my life and all of that business. And I've seen the effect the painting that's had on many women who have had that similar experience. And that's, uh, that's why I'm, I'm working with a lady called Tammy Miller, who's many things, but she's also very involved with the National Breast Foundation Coalition, whatever they call it. I'm new to it, sorry. And she's been very interested in getting that piece into the organization as a counseling tool because I had tried to forget all of it, and I thought I had done a good job of it until I painted the painting, and then I was a mess. But it's healthy to get rid of that stuff. I thought I had. I thought I got into counseling. I talked everybody's ear off about it, and I hadn't gotten rid of most of it. It came out in the painting, and it's done that for other women, too. So art is many things to many people, and sometimes the artist isn't even in control of what the outcome is going to be. Some of the portraits that you have are not pretty portraits, but they're very powerful, and they're full of presence. Yeah, it's one of the gifts I do have, is being able to kind of exchange places with my subject. Are you in your studio now? Yep. Would you mind going to your piano and playing a D chord for us? Sure. On my piano, which is a Somer, a small, tiny, baby grand Somer was a company that took over Steinway at some point in time. And six, no, 12 of them got sent out here to Elysburg, Pennsylvania, of all places, and put in a warehouse. They weren't finished. So here's my key of D. It's pretty, right? It's just a, a nice sound. And if I needed to in any of the paintings, I went on to the secondary chord, which is... And then you come back to the primary, and then there's the resolution, which makes you want to go back to the beginning. And it's it's different to me than the key of C. It always sounds kind of sad, like it should all be minor or something. And all you have to do is change one note from this to this. You know, it's totally Eastern Europe. It's like Chopin at his best, right? So that's my piano, and that lives in one half of the studio, and my painting stuff lives in the other half. Artist Mary Lapos of Danville speaking about her work in connection with an exhibition at the Exchange Gallery in Bloomsburg through July 15th. The exhibition has two themes. The left side of the gallery features in tune, key of D, and the right side features in the reign of COVID, black or white. For more information on the web, exchangearts.org, exchangearts.org, or Mary's own website, and it is Mary Lapos, L-A-P-O-S, marylapos.com. Again, the show at the Exchange Gallery, 24 East Main Street in Bloomsburg, will run through July 15th. For more information, exchangearts.org.